Hey, well, what's up, everyone? Merry Christmas. I have to say good afternoon because I want to say good morning so bad. It's just like habit. Um, for those that are new or visiting, I know there's many of you here today. My name's Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Arbor. And hasn't this afternoon just been awesome already? Um, I didn't know we were going to have this thing, which I thought was called a trumpet, but it's actually a, a flugel, a flugel. Jeff is from Canada. That's what they call trumpets in Canada. <laughs> Flugels. I kind of like it better, honestly. Um, we also have some special guests here who aren't normally with us on a Sunday gathering like this. We've got a lot of kids with us today. So can we celebrate and welcome our kids who are here with us today? Yeah. Hopefully you don't get too bored in mom and dad church, okay, in big church. Um, but we're going to start, we're going to try to start off with something that might interest you guys. Kids, we need your help here off the bat. Um, we're going to do a little Christmas trivia, okay? And, and we need your help here. We're just going to test to see how well we all know the Christmas story. Is that okay? Can we do that? Yes? Yes? Come on, I'm going to need a little feedback here this afternoon because you're going to have to answer some questions here. All right, here's the first question. Here we go. What does the Bible say that the innkeeper said to Mary and Joseph? Was it A, there's no room in the inn? Was it B, I have a stable you can use? Was it C, come back later and I should have some vacancy? Or was it D, none of the above? What did the innkeeper say to Mary and Joseph? Just tell me what you think. A, I got A over here, I got D. What else? What over here? How about over here? What do we have? A? A, we got A. So A seems to be the dominant answer. The answer is actually D, none of the above. Listen to this. The Bible never mentions an innkeeper, ever, in any of the gospel stories. In fact, the inn was probably like a relative's house or someone's home or something. So there was no innkeeper, and they didn't say anything because they, they weren't there in the story. All right, question number two. We've got to keep going. Um, according to the Bible, how did Mary and Joseph get to Bethlehem? Was it A, a camel, B, a donkey, C, they walked, D, Joseph walked and Mary rode a donkey, E, an electric scooter, or F, no one knows? What do we think this side? What do we think? F, F what? E, E. I got E and F over here. What? D, D, E, F, D. No, no, no electric scooter? All right, here's the answer. F, no one knows. No one knows. The Bible doesn't say, listen, the reason you think it's C or D or E is, is because of the pictures you've seen, you know, in like books and whatnot, but the Bible never says, okay? Okay, question number three. How many angels spoke to the shepherds? Was it A, one, B, three, C, a multitude, or D, none of the above? How many was it? D. People, people are going with like none of the above now. They're like, these are all trick questions. C, D, what is it? C? Listen, here we go. It is, we got C over here, I got D over here. People think I'm trying to trick you now. Listen, it's A. It's only one. Only one angel. And then, listen, listen, then a multitude came and sang, okay? 
but just one talk. All right. So speaking of that multitude, question number four, what did the angels say or sing? Was it glory to God on the highest? Was it B, hallelujah? Or was it C, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given? Was it D, joy to the world? Was it E, glory to the newborn king? Which one was it? What did they say? What did they sing? What? A? A over here? What over here? A? I got... Someone said Freebird. I don't think that's the case. The answer is A. You're getting better. They sang glory to God in the highest. All right. Last question. Here we go. Ready? Last question. Here we go. The wise men brought frankincense and myrrh. What is myrrh? Is it A, Middle Eastern money? Is it B, a drink? Is it C, a spice used for burying people? Is it D, an easily shaped metal? Or we got that other option, E, none of the above. What is it? This side? C. 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 How about this side? C. All right, it was C. It is, it is, it is a spice used to bury people. In fact, when Jesus himself was buried, in the gospel accounts, it says that he was buried and anointed with 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh. And so this gift actually foreshadowed the kind of death that Jesus would one day die. Now, overall, just between you and God, how well did you do on that quiz? <laughs> how well? Like, not so great, right? So listen, listen, here, here's the important thing right now. It doesn't matter how well you know the Christmas story. I know a lot of you are, are, are new here today and maybe you thought I'm with all these people who go to church all the time and know the whole story and know all the facts. Listen, no we don't. <laughs> we don't and it's okay. Listen, you don't have to know all the facts. You don't need to know all the verses. You don't need to know all the details. But, but a couple things I, I think it, that's important for us to know is, is the, the big whys of Christmas. Why is the Christmas story so important? Why does the Christmas story actually matter, apart from the pageantry and apart from the lights and, and, and the, the festivities and hanging out with people? Why does this Christmas story that we read in the Bible matter? Well, here's why it matters. Here's one big why. The Christmas story matters because it assures us that God is with us. The Christmas story matters because it assures us that God is with us. And over the last few weeks in this series, The Ever-Present God, we have been um, uh, acquainting ourselves with this reality that our God is always with us, that he is with us in the wilderness, that he is with us in uh, the valley, that he's with us in the storm, that our God is present always. And our, our theme verse for this has actually been in Matthew 1.23. And we've read this theme verse every single Sunday, but today I'd like to read the entire story from where this comes. And we haven't done this in a while here at Arbor, but I'd like to invite all of you to stand with me as I read through this portion of scripture. Don't worry, it's only six verses, Matthew 1.23 through 28. Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. While his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man, and because he did not want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately. And when he had contemplated this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, 
do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This all happened so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Verse 23, look, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right, you can take a seat. That's the story. That's the Christmas story in part. There are many other details, many other accounts of what happened uh, and what went on. There's also a lot of details left out that, that we now know because we took that Christmas trivia quiz. Many things we don't know, but, but, but listen. Here's one thing we do know. Verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now the reason this verse right here, Matthew 1, 23, is so important is because it highlights this idea called the incarnation, okay? Now the incarnation is just a fancy theological word for this idea that God became flesh. And that's really what we're celebrating at Christmas time, is this idea that God became flesh. And I think most of us, we, we, we know this, we're familiar with this reality that God became flesh, but, but, but as familiar as we might be with it, I think for so many of us in this room, it's not something that we truly deeply understand. It's not something that deeply resonates in our soul, this reality that God became flesh. And this is what I think some of us wrestle with at Christmas time. Maybe not most of us, maybe not all of us, but some of us, we wrestle with this idea of what does this mean? What does this mean that the God of the universe became a human being? And usually as we wrestle with this idea, we have two big questions that we're wrestling with around the incarnation. One question is, how can it be? How can this actually be a reality? And the second question is this, why does it even matter? Why does any of this even matter at all? And, and since, listen, what we're talking about here is, is a miracle and a mystery, all right, of infinite proportions. And so we could spend an infinite amount of time diving into this topic right now, but I've got like 10 more minutes, and as you can hear the kids, maybe only seven, so we'll see, all right? <laughs> we're, we're just gonna jump right in, okay, here we go. First question, incarnation, how can it be? How can it be that, that the Most High God would enter into our reality and become just like us? And I think when we wrestle with this and we are so perplexed by this, there are a variety of reasons and, 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 and uh, causes for why we are confused by this or it just kind of confounds us. But I think one of the, the reasons why this idea confounds us so much is, is because we have such a low view of matter. We have a low view of the reality around us. We, we think of this idea of the incarnation and then we think of our own bodies and, and if you have an aging body, you're like, why would Jesus want this, you know? Why would he enter into this space? We look around our world and, and it can sometimes be quite dark and quite chaotic. And we think, why would, he, why would he come into this space? We have this low view of matter. And listen, this has been a problem for a really long time. The ancient Greeks, most of them in their philosophy and ideology had a really low view of matter. It's why when the apostles and disciples went out to the ends of the earth and preached this gospel of a resurrected Christ and told them about the good news of this gospel, that, that they would be able to live under the reign of this king and one day have a resurrected body, they said to them, why, why would I want that? 
Why would I want this old filthy thing back? Their whole worldview was built on this idea of being released from this mortal coil and all of its needs and demands and, and seemingly uncontrollable desires. And this is, this is still an idea that pervades our reality right now. I mean, you talk about people who want to upload their consciousness to the cloud. That's, just, that's the same exact idea of the Gnosticism of old. It's a techno-Gnosticism of sorts. I mean, th this is something that the humanity has longed for, to be free of this world. And yet, when we look at the scriptures, God, the way he looks at his world, he loves this place. He thinks this place is a beautiful place. It's a wonderful place. And I think the reason we can deduce that is because there's so much creation. He created so much of it. And if you look back at the ancient creation story all the way at the beginning of the scriptures in Genesis, when God creates things, what does he call those things? What does he say? It's good. He calls it good. It's like, this is good stuff. And then he puts humanity there too. And then do you know what he says then? He said, this is very good. This is very good. Just think about that when you're at your in-laws later today, okay? Tomorrow, these people are very good. God, God loves them. So do I. Change my heart, Lord. Change my heart. Um, just kidding. I'm just kidding. So listen, when you come to terms with this reality, I, I am not. I'm, I am. I just. I honestly just shot a missile at myself for our gathering with my in-laws tomorrow. I'm just putting that out there. I love you guys. I'm sorry about that. Okay, listen. So when you come to terms with that reality that this creation, that this reality we live in, it's actually quite good, it's beautiful. Then you begin to see, we begin to see with a little more clarity that the triune God, sending himself into the world, taking on the form of a human being, begins to make a little bit more sense. Now we might not understand all of the mechanics and the metaphysics of the whole thing, and like I said, we're not gonna dive into that today, okay? We're not gonna explore that, but we can, it, the idea of God coming into this reality, when he thinks of it as very good and wonderful, it begins to feel not so far out of left field. It begins to kind of start to make some sense, and it sheds some light on that second question, which is this. Why does it even matter? Well, why does this matter? Why does this moment in time, especially for people who follow Jesus, why does this moment in time matter? When we talk about this story of, of, of Mary delivering this child and this child being Emmanuel, God with us, why does it even matter? And I stated earlier that the Christmas story matters because it assures us that God is with us. But I don't know about you, but, but, but for me, that one verse, Matthew 123, like it talks about it, but is that all we've got? Is that all we can go on with respect to this Christmas story? Are there other ways in which we can understand at least the purpose and the meaning behind why God did this and why he did it this way? And yes, you're right, amen, right? <laughs> we see this in Paul's letter to the Colossians, Colossians chapter one. Why does the incarnation matter? He writes this, for God was pleased, God was delighted, God, was, God, God wanted this to have all his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him, listen, to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And so here in Colossians, we have Paul making a declaration about the incarnation. And he, and he says, this is, this is what this is. This is the fullness of God dwelling in the second person, the Son of God. But not only that, he doesn't just talk about the incarnation. He talks about its purpose and its reason. He says the purpose and reason of the incarnation, listen, 
is to reconcile all things to himself. To reconcile all things. All things. You know what that means in the Greek? All things, okay? <laughs> this is what I mean, all things. Now listen, here's why it's important that, you, that we understand this. Did he come to reconcile you to himself? Yes. Did he come for me? Yes. Did he come for you and you? Yes, but listen, it's more than just him coming to reconcile you to himself. Jesus came to reconcile all things, okay? Can you begin to allow like the, the universal cosmic scope of that, all things in heaven and on earth? He came to reconcile these things. And so why does the incarnation matter? Well, it matters because matter matters. Because this world that we live in actually matters. It matters because Christ's relationship to our world is, is not just as creator. Now, Paul says this. He says, all things in heaven and on earth were created in Jesus, and all things were created through him and for him. But listen, Jesus is not simply creator. He's not simply some far-off, transcendent, otherworldly God. He is an imminent, incarnate God who, is, who has come to seek and reconcile and redeem the world around us. He is very present. He was a very present, real human being. And, and this reality of his immediate presence shines so brightly at Christmas. When he came as just a baby, when he came as a child, born of a virgin, and listen, he was present then, and he is very present now. He is very present now, and his reconciling work is ongoing. It's happening even now because of the power of his blood. This humble king laying down his life has been working in and through your life and the lives of others and in this world to reconcile and redeem all things to himself. In your life, in your life personally, he is reconciling all things to himself. Paul writes in Romans 8, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That's the work of his reconciliation happening in your life, that for those who place their trust and those who place their hope in this Jesus who came to this world as a baby, he is with you through every ebb and flow of life. He is with you through every high and low. He is with you constructing and redeeming and reconciling every valley, every wilderness, every storm that you go through. All of it is being used by him for your transformation into something holy and into something glorious. He is, he is working through all of it. Every mundane season, every season of success, every season of celebration, every circumstance that seems unbearable is moldable clay in the hands of this creator and redeemer and reconciler. And so no matter what you may be navigating in your life right now, those who are in Christ, you can trust beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is with you that he is with you, he is using it all, he is redeeming it all. And this is not to call evil good or good evil, but it is to say that nothing is outside the scope of his reconciling power. Nothing is outside of his scope. And that is because he has entered into this world. Jesus Christ entered into this world at a certain point in time to redeem it and to reconcile it to himself. And he didn't do it through some sort of loud declaration 
He didn't do it through some like triumphant announcement at a palace to those who were the most influential and to some large crowd. He did it through the quiet, vulnerable cry of a baby. And this, this defies reason. We have, we have no idea as to why he would do it this way and not that way. And we might not understand it, but I, but I find comfort in it. I find comfort, and, and, and here's why I find comfort, because here's what it shows me. Here's what it should show all of us. There's no place too small. There's no place too obscure. There's no place too difficult. There's no place too hard or far removed that Jesus won't go. What Jesus coming to this world as an infant in a small town in Bethlehem to this poor virgin girl, this couple, what it shows is, is, is Jesus will go to the smallest, most difficult, painful, obscure place. He is with you. He is with you. He is present always. And Christmas is the inauguration of this reality. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel which means God with us. The Christmas story matters because it assures us that God is with us. The Christmas story reminds us that God has not given up on this world that we live in. He has not. As much as we might want to, God has not. He has not given up on you. He has not given up on your situation. The Christmas story tells us that he is working to bring everything under his rule and his reign, everything on earth and everything in heaven. God is with us. Would you stand with me as I pray? Father in heaven, we thank you that you're with us, that you're present with us in all things. And Lord, right now, as we celebrate your birth and your arrival, we can't help but anticipate and await and be excited for your, for your second arrival. And we long for that day when you will make all things new. We long for that day when, when you will reconcile once and for all all things on heaven and in earth. We long for the day when we will have resurrected bodies like your resurrected body that you rule with in heaven right now. We long for that day. But we celebrate, Lord, that you have, you have already begun to make it a reality. And so God, as we head out and as we go forth and continue to celebrate this Christmas season, God, I pray that you would remind us that this world matters, that this life matters, that the life that you've given us matters and you are wasting nothing. And so Lord, would you open our eyes in the days and the weeks to come to be reminded of how we can be part of that reconciling, redeeming work here and now. Because you care about this world. You care about us as your people. And we thank you for that. We see this so clearly in the birth of your son, Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. So this Christmas season, uh, what we've been doing is we've been lighting these Advent candles here. And we've lit all four candles. Yeah, you guys know the drill, right? You guys know what to grab. This is the fun part, kids. So tonight, we, we already lit the love candle. We've lit peace, joy, hope. And right now, I light the, the uh, Christ candle. The Christ candle is a reminder. The Gospel of John says this. 
that the light has come into the world, but, but the darkness has not overcome it. And so regardless of how dark our world might seem, regardless of how dark your circumstance might seem, Christ, the light of the world, has entered into the world. He's entered into your situation. And regardless of how painful it might be right now, understand this, the darkness has not overcome it.